What's up, everybody? I am back after a long hiatus, about a month. I have moved to Chicago, where I'm from. Stoked to be here and stoked to be back. I'm holding my microphone in my hand because I am not near a desk. Not going to get into why. What's more important is that I'm talking to Amelia Tiemann today, who's awesome, and you should follow her on Twitter. She's a nuclear advocate that is also into praying to Krom and the gods of iron by lifting weights. And I am stoked to have her here. What is up, Amelia? <laughs> Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you for being here and for taking time out of your day. So I brought you on because I immediately started to get into what I saw you putting up on Twitter. First, I saw you squatting and I was like, so this is the way. We can only get better through barbells on our back and by being pro-nuclear. And then I saw that you had very thoughtful things to say about what you were noticing in terms of stumbling blocks and convincing people about nuclear. And it made me really curious about how you came into this and sort of what your whole perspective is, because I think you have a lot to offer. So let's start with the basics. Where are you from? What's your background? How did you get here? Thank you. I appreciate that. So I'm from the Bay Area of California. And yeah, I grew up here and I am a recent college graduate. I guess I can still say that. I graduated in 2019. And I'm in a master's of environmental policy program at UC Davis in the Sacramento area. And I've been a nuclear advocate, I guess, since like 2017. And around the same time, I even found out like what nuclear was. I became an advocate because I started working at totally. Generation Atomic, which is a nuclear advocacy organization. And it was kind of getting started around that time. And I was lucky enough to start work with them. And like, they're really like way back, like canvassing days, like at the very beginning. And they had like two or three canvassers and we would just go door to door and like talk to people about nuclear. And I barely knew the talking points, but it was really fun. <laughs> That's high stakes too. I'd be terrified. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've never done that before and it was really terrifying, but you get used to it, I guess. Like you just get used to like people's reaction of like, what are you doing at my door? And then it doesn't get bother you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that happened a few times. But <laughs> but then like you have a few good conversations with people and it's like, oh, this is worth it. Um, and in that particular time, we were canvassing in the Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania area and talking to people about the plant that they live nearby and saying like, look, this plant is slated to shut down soon. What do you think about that? And then kind of talking to people about the benefits it provides. And so we got some signatures and anyway, so Generation Atomic is still going strong. Like they, they built a really nice organization led by Eric Meyer and they're doing a lot of good work. So I recommend checking them out. So I guess that was the first thing I did. And then I kind of got really busy with like senior year of college and I was writing a thesis and it was a year long thesis that my particular college had like everyone do. So mine was about nuclear <laughs> and I learned a lot through that because I was just researching for it. What and... was the thesis on about nuclear? Yeah, and... What? What was the thesis on about nuclear? Oh God, what was it on? It was basically talking about Oh my God, I can't even remember, but it was talking about like, I think voided emissions from 
the nuclear that we have and what kind of risk we're taking by not building more. So I just compiled all the evidence and yeah, I took like a look at 2050 emission scenarios and different risks and benefits of using it. And just looking at like, look, we're going to have this crisis. And if we don't deploy lots more of these things, like here's what's going to happen. So yeah, it was good. Like it, I was, it was so educational. Like I literally got access to the best materials that I could find and read them. And so it was a really good primer of like what's going on, what I need to read, what books there are who's in the field. And I had the advising of like a good mentor who I still work with. So it was good. And then after that, I graduated and then COVID hit like right after that. <laughs> and I didn't exactly perfect timing. <laughs> yeah, perfect timing. Yeah, very perfect. <laughs> so I was like pretty burnt out anyway. So I kind of took the time to like reorient myself and then I was like okay I'll just do grad school applications and just see what happens and then I started working part-time for this startup that I think is gonna have a lot of good opportunities I can't really talk much about it but and I also have been doing blogging for fourth generation blog which is curated by terrestrial energy Mm -hmm. since like 2019 I could be wrong anyway sorry this is a lot to like explain but yeah I've been doing that for a while so I've been writing like blog posts for several years and then I got accepted to grad school and now I've been in this environmental policy program and I'm the only like person that knew about nuclear and I've just been like literally so annoying and talking about it to everyone and you're trying to nuke pill everyone you come into contact with yeah for real definitely like shamelessly so I'd be doing the same thing yeah no, I love that. I love that. I mean, it's, I think it's really cool that you got your start canvassing. Like that is my exact weakness. So I think it's like awesome that that was how you started. I really admire that because I think a lot of people don't understand how like awkward and painful that can be like when it goes south. Oh my like God, I've yeah. done some of that and you're just like, oh, you're like sweating through your shirt. You're like, yeah. I'll just yeah. leave. It's fine. <laughs> I'll just leave this interaction. Like whatever, okay. you know. Totally. Um, but I'm guessing that that, uh, and you tell me. I mean, I don't know, but I'm guessing that that has only helped you figure out how to talk about nuclear when you're trying to get your classmates involved. Yeah, it definitely did, and I still really admire people that do canvassing like full time. I couldn't do that, like. I could go help here and there now, but I wouldn't, can't imagine myself doing full-time because it's so grueling and it was rewarding, but it was really, it was like boot camp for talking about nuclear because like they, the, my two like bosses, I guess at the time just told me like, look, people are going to have these questions. They're going to be about waste. They're going to be about radiation. It's going to be about, x y and z like usual questions that people have and like here's what you're going to say and you could give them the short version if you don't really know or you can give them a longer version and i would just hope that people wouldn't ask for tons of details but sometimes i would be canvassing with charlie my coworker, and he just knew like everything so luckily he could pitch in but it was just yeah it was good to see the overall attitudes and i guess like 
in the Pittsburgh area, that's just one microcosm of people's attitudes, but it kind of reflects everywhere else because there's people on all sides of the spectrum. Like they're either like super anti and they're like, what are you talking about? Why are you at my door? Like nuclear is for weapons. Get out, out of my house. And you have like no room to get a word in. Yeah. But that's maybe like 0.1% of people. Mm-hmm. And then a lot more people than I expected, I guess, were very open to the conversation and they would kind of Mm. have this like you could hear in their tone like they're a little bit reserved but they're open to it and if you bring up like this is how much emissions you avoid or like you know uranium is 200 million times denser than coal so that's why it's so energy dense and you can make all this abundant energy with like barely any fuel like people are really interested in that or if you bring Mm -hmm. up like the amount of waste that there is versus the amount of uncontained carbon emissions that there are in the atmosphere, whereas nuclear waste is all contained and not harming anybody. That connects with people. So I hope that answers your question. No, it does. I mean, I was wondering, like, are, so I think it's interesting that you've ended up in this environmental policy track and you're one of the few nuke heads out there. Like, (laughs) Are your classmates' questions or thoughts about nuclear greatly different than the questions you encountered while you were canvassing? Mm, I think there, there's overlap for sure. I think my, I found my classmates, like pretty much no one was opposed to nuclear. That's awesome. We had this debate in class my first quarter and there was actually a category for the debate. It was like a bunch of categories. So we split into teams of like three. And one of them was the transition to nuclear power. And I was like, okay, I'm being in that group. Like, <laughs> like switch me into that group. And so we did the debate. And like, by this time, the class already knew that it was like my thing because I had brought it up before. So I just like laid everything out, like pretty much everything I thought was important. And like, I brought like gummy bears to class and I was like, Hey, like uranium. (laughs) And then I brought a Red Bull and I was like, you know, like if all of the, your life was powered by nuclear, like all of your waste would have been in this can. And like, people were like, what the heck? So people were surprised, Mm -hmm. I think. And the opposing group like did a good job too. I think they laid out like the opposing arguments well, but you know, like obviously they're wrong. Just kidding. But yeah, the class was like interested. They just had questions and they just wanted mm-hmm. to know more. I think it was like, it's kind of like a lack of just knowledge at all. Cause it's just never brought up like in college, mm-hmm. nuclear discussions were not a thing in any of my classes. So yeah. But people definitely seem interested. A few people like came up to me later and wanted to learn more about it. So, yeah, totally. I mean, it's cool that people are generally open, and you're not seeming as some like weird zealot who's constantly screwing up the discussion by being discussion by being like, "We can do nuclear too." You know, I think that's because <laughs> I think you know, I can imagine not too long ago that that probably would have been the case. Yeah. You know, I think that speaks to how things are starting to change. I think, I mean, I don't know. Have you noticed that at all that there seems to be a tide shifting? I have noticed that. Yeah, definitely. I think there's more like, it seems like more major publications are posting articles about 
Like, mm-hmm. maybe we should reconsider nuclear. Yeah, I kind of worried about coming gr- across as this, like, zealot, I guess. But mm-hmm. I don't think read it that way. I think they just saw it like, oh, she's really passionate. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, I think in, like, my generation of, like, I guess, uh, like, late millennials or early Gen Z, I'm not sure which one I really am. But in mm-hmm. my generation anyway, like, people are... Definitely, they don't have the, like, fear factor anymore. Right. They don't have the Cold War baggage. Not at all. Like, that's not really a thing. So Mm. I think without that, it makes it a lot easier to kind of explain to people why this isn't something you should be afraid of, because there's not this embedded fear. There's sort of Mm -hmm. maybe talking points that they've heard. But once you can get past that, people are way more open. Like, I had a conversation with the... And she was like, oh, why nuclear? Isn't that bad? And then 10 minutes later, she's like, okay, I'm on board with it. (laughs) So it's not (laughs) that easy. Yeah. So like, I guess one of the things that I'm sort of interested in, and I think you've done a little bit of thinking about this too, is like, what is special about nuclear? Like, and I don't just mean like, oh, we get all of this energy, but like what that really means you know, mm-hmm. like, do you find that people can like easily get to the point where they're like, oh, energy is like really important and we need to have a ton of it. Or is um, that something that you need to sort of like get them towards with nuclear? It's an interesting question. I think, I think there kind of is a gap in understanding about how important energy is. And I think that gap exists even in environmentalist circles, including my graduate cohort I think there's a lot of people in there that are doing great work and a lot of it is ecology work like with the bay delta or something like that or wildfires I think fewer people are into energy and I think even when we're talking about energy the conversation is confined to electricity and energy is this huge thing like it's not just electricity it's fuels and yeah, like shipping, aviation, we need fossil fuels just to make the high temperature heat for these heavy industrial processes. So I think that conversation is like completely ignored a lot of the time. And I think the awareness about just how much energy we need, including electricity, how much electricity we need to just keep on providing the same livelihoods that we have. (laughs) Because if we didn't have electricity, like we wouldn't have washing machines, we wouldn't have dishwashers, we wouldn't have computers, there's so many things that we need with energy. So Mm -hmm. it's kind of hard to like fathom. And I think people who are, you know, gung ho for solar and wind, I think that's great. I think they are aware that there's this transition to clean sources that we need to have. I think they may not be aware of just what the scale is and also the intermittency issue and the land use issue and everything else we could get into. I think the awareness is like, we need, we need to work on it. Yeah, no, I think that's true because like, I think about like generally, I think the plan for decarbonization makes sense, right? Where you're like, okay, we need to electrify more things. Yes. And that's how we're going to do it because it is just easier to figure out how to electrify something than figure out how to like one-to-one replicate a fossil fuel 
process for whatever this is, whatever we're going to talk about. But I mean, the amount of demand that that creates for electricity is like staggering. Right. You know, like, yeah, like just, I don't know, 10 Xing like, our electricity yeah. demand is going to need big, large scale power. You know, it's going to need nuclear at every scale, you know? Right. Like, <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And I think we do have to electrify everything like as much as possible would make mm-hmm. everything as easy as possible. Like the transition to electric cars, specifically here in California, like we're looking at millions of new electric cars on the road and that's great, but we need a clean grid to charge them all. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> all right. So it's easier than kind of, you know, I think the transition to synthetic fuels is something that will be coming down the pipe in the future, but it's not really like the evidence for economically competitive carbon mm. neutral synthetic fuels is just starting to accumulate and it's an exciting field but it's not like the technology is like it's there it's kind of starting to become proven i don't know if mm-hmm. i can say it's proven or not since it's not implemented but it's just the starting it, the conversation starting out essentially so transitioning all these gas cars to like a drop in mm. replacement clean fuel is much harder than just making more electric cars and then mm-hmm. electrifying our transport and then having a clean grid, which we can easily do by building more nuclear power plants. So, mm-hmm. so obviously we agree, we need more nuclear power plants. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering what you think the major obstacles to getting there are. There's a lot. Small Sorry, question, I know, like super easy to answer. <laughs> I think the obstacles are primarily social and political and that translates into it being an economic obstacle because like political systems don't really favor nuclear right now there's all these subsidies for renewables and so many incentives to build renewables like solar exploded like 15 years ago people were so excited about it particularly like rooftop solar in california Like everyone wanted solar panels on their roof and we got all these subsidies for it and we deployed it because there was political incentive there. So it worked. Whereas for nuclear, there's zero subsidies, even though the electricity that a nuclear plant generates is super cheap. Like once it's generating, it's just on all the time. It's baseload. We practically don't even need all the power that a plant generates for a certain area because it's just so much it's so like constant the only thing is like it can't serve the whole state so yeah like diablo canyon serves three million people and if we had like 10 more diablo canyons that would be like 30 million people but the problem is that they're pretty expensive to build these huge reactors and like in california diablo canyons like two thousand megawatt reactors roughly so that's two gigawatts of power so it's a big thing it's a big thing to build and it's expensive and the most recent power plants that are being built have had these crazy cost overruns and schedule overruns so they're taking way too long they're costing billions of dollars and the thing is that doesn't have to happen but because it is happening because the industry is so over regulated and Mm -hmm. there's like new the the regulatory system basically makes it so that they have to be like examined and they have to be like i'm saying this so badly sorry i'm so sorry no 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 i think you're doing fine like basically what i'm hearing from you is that like 
we have a political will problem. We have like a time scale problem and we have a regulation problem. Yes. And those are big obstacles. Like Vogel is not any nuclear advocate's favorite thing to talk about. Mm -hmm. Right. (laughs) I think we all feel kind of the same way. It's frustrating that it's taking this long. At this point, I want it to finish just so people can stop dunking on me about it. <laughs> you know? Dunking on you about it. Well, and anybody is just like, well, yeah, what about Vogel? Like, look at how expensive it is. I mean, aside from the fact that plenty of offshore wind projects cost about that much and deliver less power, you know, like the whole argument that nuclear takes too long and is too dangerous or whatever, and that's why it needs to be so regulated so that it takes too long is a real Achilles heel that I feel like mm-hmm. you and I both think needs to be fixed. Absolutely. And I think there's a lot going on within the regulatory system. And I don't, I don't want to say too much in particular about that because I don't personally have all the details, but mm-hmm. I think a lot of nuclear advocates and people in the industry have brought up the issue that within the regulatory system, within the NRC itself, there's pushback against new plants just because, you know, of political mm-hmm. well, political incentives and there's less incentive to make new plants. And because of that, there's more regulatory constraints. So to keep it at that vague standpoint, because I don't want to like... <laughs> I don't want to like dunk on the NRC because obviously we need it. But like, if you want to read more about that, the information is out there. Yeah, actually, if anybody wants to take a look at that, I wrote a whole thing for American Affairs where I do a little bit of dunking on the NRC and the Atomic Energy Commission. So uh, I guess I'll just put that in the show notes. (laughs) Yeah, I'm comfortable doing that, at least a little bit. Like, I think it needs to be regulated, just not so much. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I guess that's one of the, the regulation question is really interesting to me because it's like this political puzzle where the people who are for regulation, who really want to regulate it are, tend to also be the most climate concerned. Mm -hmm. And it seems to me difficult to convince them that deregulating something might actually be good. Because so much of the environmental movement has focused on increasing regulation for various forms of energy output. And I'm wondering if that's something like you've had those types of conversations amongst your cohort or it's something you've thought about when it comes to environmental policy or just nuclear comms in general. Do you mean like increasing regulation in any energy source? No, I guess I mean, how do we convince people that are really concerned about regulating forms of energy and climate crisis that nuclear is something we, in fact, need to deregulate to (laughs) take on climate change? I guess I haven't really talked with anyone who's so savvy about these things that they had a strong standpoint about regulation. I guess Mm. it's more that we need to pick the right mix of sources and people have their ideology about what sources we need mm-hmm. and that and usually it's that we don't need nuclear because solar and wind can do the job and that's the standpoint i've encountered the most so i don't i don't know if i have a good answer but 
neither do I, because I think about it all the time and I have yet to like solve it. Yeah. Cause I think it's, I think it's an interesting problem. And the energy mix is a curious one too. Like, what do you make of the argument that wind and solar can just do it all? You've talked about the in- intermittency problem before, but I'm wondering like, why, because you've entered into debates with people about this, like, why is that argument so powerful? Why is it so pervasive? And why does it seem so easy to make? Because I hear it all the time. I think wind and solar have this big green sign attached to them. And anyone can say, I like wind and solar. That's pretty much not problematic to anybody. And it's because they've been so well marketed. Like they basically just blew up in popularity and people are like renewable energy. Like that sounds amazing. And that makes sense. Like it does sound amazing, like renewable energy from nature. Like we can just use that. We can just make solar panels and put them on our roof and use them to generate electricity. That's awesome. Like I have solar panels on my roof. This is my parents' house, but there's solar panels on our roof for the last like 15 years. And I remember my mom being super excited about them and she wouldn't (laughs) stop talking about how like, oh, our electricity bill is going to go down and we're just generating power from the sun and we get to sell it back to the grid. Isn't it great? And now my mom is super like <laughs> pro-nuclear too. And she That's gets awesome. all this stuff too. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's just that it's the big green sign. And with mm-hmm. nuclear, there isn't that. And the nuclear industry has been around since the 50s and you know, we built all of these plants at once around the world, mm-hmm. in Europe and in the US. And then we stopped building them. And we really, after like the 70s, not too many more plants were built relative to that big uh, build out that happened in the first couple of decades. So it kind of is like, like kind of forgotten. <laughs> And no one's talking about nuclear as this big new industry that's going to provide all this clean power. They're just not. So it's kind of like not the first thing on people's minds. Sorry, I yeah, forget I mean, what you're No, no, no. I, I think that's right. I think it's, I think that is what is so important about people who are very serious about climate trying to put nuclear first on mm-hmm. that, right? Like I'm not a climate hawk. That's fine. I believe in climate change, obviously. And I work with people who that is their foremost concern. And I respect that. And that's what I think is so important about figuring these things out, because I think you're totally right. It's the big green sign. I love that. It's just like a neon sign that's green with the arrow pointing at wind and solar. You yeah. know? And then far <laughs> off in the background, you see like the cooling towers of Diablo Canyon. You know? <laughs> people um, are like, what's that? Yeah, what is that? you know, or like Byron and Dresden or or whatever, even though it's this powerhouse thing. So I think that's correct. So I guess I'm wondering like, what, how do you want to be a nuclear advocate, like going into the future? Like, what are your hopes and dreams for nuclear and yourself in the space? Because already I know that you were part of the beautiful nuclear report that you're slumped. By the way, people can go check the hyperlink to that in the show notes if you want to check that out. Like, let's talk about that. I'm very interested because I think, you know, we're both sort of like future oriented in terms of nuclear. Yeah. So Beautiful Nuclear is a report that just came out, was just launched by Terra Praxis. 
which is think tank run by Kirsty Gogan, who's based in the UK, and Eric Ingersoll, who's based here in the US. And they're like such a powerhouse. And they also founded Lucid Catalyst. So they brought me on as like a freelance contributor to the report. And we were actually working on it back in 2020. So that's kind of what I was working on for several months during the pandemic. So I got to just chill at home and work on the report. That's um, awesome. It was really, really fun. <laughs> yeah. It was really like, it was just one of those intensive reading and writing things, but I actually love doing that. Like, I love writing. So I do want like writing to be part of my advocacy somehow. I don't know exactly how, but I, I would love to, to do more freelance work. But yeah, the beautiful nuclear report is awesome. <laughs> it was the peer review process like was super thorough. So they had like all these peer reviewers and it's basically about how we can use nuclear to go about the next 30 years and beyond and what we need to do. And one of the main points is something you brought up, with, which was electrifying everything. The other main points were using nuclear to make synthetic fuels using, and this is advanced nuclear, by the way. So advanced designs that are going to be deployed like in the 2030s totally. and beyond. So there's so many great applications for those like desalination of water. Yeah. Producing hydrogen, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. can be used for so many different applications. So that's what the report goes into and it's really detailed. So it's basically, if you want to first look at all these new applications of nuclear advanced nuclear reactors, like that's a place to go. And it, Kirsty and Eric did a great job. They've, they, their research is mainly like looking at how can we get to these this zero carbon mm -hmm. emissions scenario by 2050 and and also start to have negative emissions after that because there's still going to be emissions in the atmosphere that we have to take care of beyond that point mm -hmm. um and how do we also serve industrializing economies because totally. you know those are building out way more coal as they should because mm -hmm. you know people need electricity people are industrializing the world is sort of moving in that direction fast. So we can't just say like, oh, the big polluters can keep polluting, but you guys can't. Yeah. So nuclear is super instrumental in that. And energy demand is going to like double in the next 30 years. So what are we going to yeah. do about that? It's basically like the anti-degrowth paper, but it's saying <laughs> we can be this because <laughs> nuclear is so awesome. Hell yeah. yeah. I love it. I love it. No, that sounds great. I think we need more writers in the space. We need more communicators. So I'm stoked for you. I'm sure you will find plenty Thanks. of opportunity. Yeah. And I do and I have just... a new idea coming that, <laughs> sorry. No, um, I do have a new idea for something that I want to start, but it's very early. Okay. Talk about? If you'd like to, I mean, I'm curious. Well, I do want to start like a platform where I can kind of put all the weird creative things that I do in one place because mm -hmm. I also like graphic design and I want to make like nuclear graphic designs <laughs> maybe totally. like wearable and or hangable or whatever but I do want to launch like a website that has blogs think pieces maybe short form and long form and maybe some art on there 
maybe some videos on there, some podcasts. But I love it. No, to- I love this. This sounds yeah. amazing. Yeah, I'm <laughs> so for it. I think we need it. And the and I love the idea that there's going to be like nuclear swag you can get. We need more <laughs> of it, frankly. There's not enough cool stuff out there. Like the people that are making it right now are killing it. But I think right. you could always bring more to let people represent while they're out there. And yeah, I mean, I think the more voices, the better. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm bullish on this platform idea for you. I really <laughs> want to see it. And if there's anything I can do to help, please let me know. I would love oh, I to, that. yeah, help in any way I can. So for now, people can find you on Twitter, right? Yes. So my handle is my last name and my first name. It's at Timon Amelia. I'm sure you'll link it or something. Yep. Guys, that'll be in the show notes. Go check out her work. And of course, big things coming with this idea. (laughs) I will be first to pre-order a t-shirt. And I hope that we can talk again. I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to chat with me. This was a blast. And everybody else out there, stay sharp, stay strong, stay radiant, and we will see you next time.